He's the guy that knocked that guy out, broke his face, and threw a pokeball at him. That's him. I'm ill. I'm ill. Sicker than your average. I'm ill. I'm ill. Sicker than your average. What the fuck? I'm ill. What the fuck? I'm ill. Sicker than your average. What the fuck? I'm ill. What the fuck? I'm ill. Sicker than your average. And we're back here on the Dope Blog. We're discussing the excellence that is mixed martial arts. I'm here with my partner in crime again, Tim Owens. I am Charles Day. And today, unlike the usual Dope MMA, where we cover the UFC, we're going to be talking Bellator MMA today. Specifically, Bellator's MVP, Michael Venom Page. Now, just to start it off, when I say Michael Venom Page, what does that mean to you? Oh, Good question, good question. When I hear Michael Venom Page, I, I hear, you know, something that's kind of common in MMA, but not as common, more common with some of the Bellator fighters, is a lot of more theatrics. I mean, when I hear MVP, I think this is going to be something to watch because it's it's going to be either a knockout or just all-out brawl or just something fun. He always brings the heat. He always brings a lot of entertainment to the fight game, which you don't always see with a lot of fighters. So that's instantly what I hear when we talk MVP. Definitely. And for those who don't know, Michael Venom Page is a welterweight over in Bellator. He is currently sitting with a record of 18 wins and one loss, 11 of the wins by knockout, three by submission with only four by decision. He's currently on a four-fight win streak, three of them by knockout. The last fight against Ross Houston on October 10th in Paris went off three rounds, five-minute rounds like usual. And it was a lackluster fight. He really fought down to his competition, and it wasn't the highlight reel in the making, I believe, all the fans thought it would be. But with that being said, he's pretty much known for, like you said, being that showman, being that guy. I'm sure if you're a casual MMA fan, you've seen him on Bleacher Report or on Twitter. He's the guy that knocked that guy out, broke his face, and threw a pokeball at him. That's him. Um, You could tell that Bellator was really hitching their you know, the hype train to Michael Venom Page, but it ran, he ran into a problem when he ran into Douglas Lima during the welterweight Grand Prix. Um, Douglas Lima is a three-time Bellator welterweight champion and defeated Michael Venom Page in two rounds in Illinois during the Bellator World Grand Prix. Douglas Lima would go on to win his third and current welterweight championship. That was in May 2019 when they first fought. And then in the next fight against Rory McDonald, he defeated him in October. So a really short turnover, but 2019 was definitely Lima's year. And now in 2020, this week, we have Michael Venom Page talking to MMA Junkie saying that Lima's ducking him and he's and avoiding a rematch. Now, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, so I, I can't subscribe to that. I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't agree that Lima's ducking him. Looking at... Douglas Lima's record in Bellator, in my opinion, what he was doing was avenging losses he had previously uh, by decision after he beat, well, one before he beat Venom Page and then one after he beat Roy McDonald, right? So I think what Lima was doing was trying to, you know, solidify his record by avenging those losses that he had early in the Bellator career that he, that he had. So I think that's what's going on in my eyes when I see it. And, you know, he's already booked for Gagar Musasi, which is a fight hardcores know this is what we've wanted to see for a long time i think the venom page fight had very similar 
similar likeness to Chris Weidman and Spider Silver. Yes, thank you. And it's, it's very like Chris Weidman and Anderson Silver, where at first it looks like Anderson's just playing with Weidman, like, yeah, I'm, you know, playing possum or whatever you want to be, and he actually gets caught, and then it's like, oh crap, let me make an adjustment. And it was, it was already too late. That first hit caught him, put him away. So in the Venom Page oh. Douglas Lima fight, Douglas Lima took him down in the first round and kind of controlled the whole first round. So you would have to score the first round for Douglas Lima regardless. The whole time you could tell that Venom Page was trying to do what you're trying what you're alluding to with Weidman versus Silva and kind of goad him, trick him, keeping his hands down to catch him. And he catches him with one weak Superman punch. I call it a weak Superman punch because that's kind of what it was thrown like. And it grazes yeah. the top of his, his uh, it grazes the top of Lima's head, staggers him back, and then when he's trying to be fancy, Lima hits him with a leg kick. Venom Page goes down, falls down on the mat, and as he's getting up, Lima just connects with this uppercut of sorts yep. and knocks yeah. his ass out. Night, night, like Venom Page. It was, it was, it was me. Sorry, not to interrupt. Oh yeah. no, yeah, it was, it was disgusting. And <laughs> so, so, so to Page's credit, it's not like. He got dominated, or Lima really proved he was this better quality fighter. But Venom Page, as you said, is a lot of show. And he gets caught like that. That's how he can get caught, I should say. Not that he gets caught like that. And after watching his last fight, it's hard to act like he's some type of superior welterweight, especially with the depth we have in the welterweight division over in UFC, seeing how he fights against talent that isn't UFC talent at all. It's barely Bellator talent, and they're giving him these tune-up fights to build up the highlight reel, and he's not really producing the highlights. He's in his early 30s. I believe he's about 32, 33 years old, so he's not old by any stretch, but it's definitely concerning as a fan that he can't put these, you know, tomato cans away. Yeah, yeah, I I can agree with you there. It looks like exactly what you said. They're trying to build up the highlight reel after that, uh, after that Lima loss, right? They're trying to they're trying to just give him some fights where he can he can look good against, and, and for the most part he has. But you don't want to start getting into these unanimous decisions and going to decision wins over and over and over if you're trying to build a fighter's highlight reel. You know, so being MVP, you got to be careful in what you're doing. Like you said, he's young, yeah, 33 years old, so he's still got some fight in him. He's not like we're talking, you know, never to talk an MMA fighter down, but we're expecting more out of it. And I don't want to say it's not good because, you know, most fights are always pretty good. But when you're supposed to be, like you said, beating these tomato cans up, you should, you should bring a little more to the stage. And I don't know if it was if it was nerves, if it's just because it's the first time. You know, you never know what's going on in the back of the mind of a fighter. But it wasn't what we all expected, to say the least. Yeah, it truly was a letdown as far as what most casual Bellator fans wanted. They wanted Venom Page as their welterweight champion. He's a very marketable fighter. And now we have Douglas Lima, no disrespect to him. Uh, Definitely a a different journey to get to where he is. And to give him some credit, because I gave some background on MVP for the listeners, currently Douglas Lima has 39 matches. He's 32-7. and And five of those losses are are by decision, with only one by knockout and one by submission. Now, a lot of fight fans think seven losses is a lot, but when you've been fighting for a long time, and according to the Wikipedia, Lima's been fighting since 2006. So seven losses in about 14 years ain't that bad. And he's obviously not that bad. He's a three-time welterweight champion over in Bellator. One thing that me and you would like to focus on today is these two potentially getting another fight where 
Michael Venom Page kind of stacks up in welterweights right now, not just in either league, but both, you know, just the overall pound-for-pound fighters on the planet. The current welterweight champion was ranked third welterweight in the world by USA Today and MMA Junkie and sixth welterweight by the uh, Fight Matrix. So he's obviously a respected Brazilian mixed martial artist. Yes. Yeah, 100%. When we're talking about, you know, Bellator and what's what's currently going on with their champions, it, it's it's a matter of fact that Lima, I think he's going up when he fights Gegard, Mus- uh, Gegard Mousasi. He's going up in weight, correct? If I'm not mistaken. I would need to look it up, but give some background because I'm sure... Out of the people that have been supporting this podcast for the last couple of weeks since we've been doing this, thank you to everybody, mind you. I don't believe that everybody is as well-versed in so many different leagues as you are, cuz. So you need to explain what you mean, the situation about the Bellator champions. You need to explain that because most fight fans, at least here in, in the States, as you know, are UFC fans. It's kind of like the NFL uh, thing. They're not checking the, the CFL. And we're pretty much talking CFL, the, the MMA version of the CFL right now. Right, right. What okay, is going yeah. on in, in Bellator right now with all the champions? So, just to give a little bit of background what's going on, I mean, we haven't had much turnover with, with their champions. Remember, I'll give some background with one of their newer champions in, in Chris Cyborg, right? She left the UFC to go to Bellator after that devastating loss to Amanda Nunez. And their their turnover isn't crazy. And with Douglas Lima, like, like you said, speaking about that welterweight championship, he was supposed to go and fight and lose that fight. I mean, everyone's idea he was supposed to lose the MVP. And when he wins that fight, he becomes a, uh, a double champion, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, with welterweight and middleweight. so Currently, there is no middleweight champion in Bellator. I looked that up before, and I believe it's vacated. Yeah, it's vacated, right? Because Rafael Lovato, and to give you a little bit of background, since we're going to be talking about Bellator fighters, the reason that was vacated, and, and it's a big decision, because he wasn't going to be cleared anymore for, for fights. They found out in one of his last fights, Rafael uh, Lovato, when he fought, I think it was Gegard Mousasi. Yeah. So when he fought, uh, Rafael Lovato was the, the champion for the middleweight division in Bellator. And the doctors that do the pre-anal- uh, pre-analysis of each fighter, so a little bit of background, uh, getting real inside about what happens not only at the UFC, not only at Bellator, at one championship, but all these all these mixed martial arts fights, just like boxing. You have to pass a physical test, right? And, you know, you can't have a current concussion. You can't have existing brain damage you can't have a big cut on your eye that you might have sustained from from uh just you know sparring right if you have a deep cut they can't approve you to fight in a professional bout when that thing can just open up on the first punch stuff like that so they want to make sure your health is up to par and with Rafael Lovato there was an issue and I forget exactly what it is but he has these spots you, you could say on his brain and half of the doctors were saying you know this is something that's a problem. Another half of doctors saying it's what not. So eventually, he was just like, you know what? I can't deal with this. It's putting more stress on me than I need to. So I'm going to back out and just continue with uh, jujitsu tournaments, things like that, where his brain isn't at harm. So a little bit of background on why that's vacated. Now, Douglas Lima putting on the show that he's been putting on in Bellator, that vacated title now goes to an auction between him and Gegard Mousasi. So this is the chance for Bellator to have a uh, champ champ again. 
right? That's where we're at with that. So, so I, I do agree to give that background of whether Lima should fight MVP again. Definitely should. If he gets this champ champ, this this kind of solidifies him in in those high rankings of a top, top pound-for-pound contender, UFC or not. So that's, that's kind of where we're at with Bellator champions. It's, it's kind of a mess, but Rafael Lovato was so dominant, it, it's, it's really a shame that he had to relinquish that belt. Mm. And this is the situation that Bellator always finds itself in, it seems, that they have this talent but the good in Bellator is miles ahead of their median, like, or their average fighter. So these guys stay up at the top for longer than the pro- the promotion probably wants them to, right? And they're just stuck. Like you said, st- uh, Cyborg, they don't want Cyborg to lose, though. I doubt they want another woman to come in and be their featherweight champion. Chris Cyborg's 22-2. and two. She's a money draw. She's one of the fighters that they want to keep. Douglas Lima can be that. Welterweight is just so deep, and it's hard to take some of these guys seriously when they put this hype train to MVP, and he's not really living up to snuff against the low-tier competition. I hate to harp on it, but it's a big deal when he gets caught slipping because he thinks he's going to walk through Lima, who at the time was a two-time welterweight champion in Bellator, and then when he's fighting a nobody, when I say a nobody, I mean the guy that he fought last, uh, Michael Venom Page I'm talking about, doesn't even have a Wikipedia. Like, right. you know, yeah. the last guy that he went off three rounds with, and when I say lackluster, that's being generous, because some people could argue that he did not win that fight. I think he did, but you could, make, you could certainly make the case that, you know, it could have been a split decision or yada, yada, yada. I believe you believe... Douglas Lima could last in the current UFC welterweight division. I don't know where you stand if you believe MVP would have any success in the current welterweight division of the UFC. Yeah, so that's a good that, that's a good observation. I, I do agree with you on the Lima aspect, but also I, I would have to go back and be like, all right, well, let's look at really what we're talking about in the welterweight division because we're not talking about a division that's not deep. We, we talked about it on a previous uh, podcast we had. I, I don't remember it was the last one or the one before that. But we were talking about how deep the welterweight division actually is for UFC. That's the scary thing um, about it. Now, having Lima, having Lima go against MVP a second time would kind of make that decision better for me. I would love to see Lima go over, but it's not like Lima's... Uh, doesn't have a lot of fights professionally, like you said, 39 total professional fights. That's a lot in comparison to MVP. It's not like he's had his chance to show himself off in for the UFC, but he's been a Bellator guy pretty much the whole time since, like you said, started in, what was it, 2006? Yeah. You said? So, yeah, I think 2009 he started with Bellator, if I'm uh, roughly yeah. 2011, September 2011, okay. uh, Bellator 49 seems to be the first card he popped up on. He was in MFC prior to that and, and yep. a couple other promotions. But yeah, yeah you're right. Some regional fights, right? Yeah, some, some regional fights that he had and stuff like that and then some other fight promotions. But so, so we're talking about nine years of him being at Bellator. It's a lot of fights um, to not make that decision. You know, some people don't, don't want to go over to the UFC, they think, that, you know, especially when you're one of those higher guys, you know, you're not getting paid like top, top tier guys, like obviously no one's ever making Connor money, but you're not getting 
top tier money like you are in the UFC, but to be an, uh, an above average person in Bellator, you, you can, there's the argument that can be made that you can make a little more money there just because of how deep the UFC is and, and how their contracts are kind of worked out. Unless you're a superstar, you're making average money at UFC, but the problem is at Bellator, if you're a real low low guy just coming up, you're, there's no way you're making money comparable to UFC. Because like we said before, that's we're talking NFL versus CFL. So there's mid-range guys at Bellator. They can make decent money compared to mid-range guys at UFC, but what do you call mid-range? So Yeah, and, and that's kind of the issue with Venom Page. He's not... He's probably talent-wise a mid-range guy, but his charisma and his explosiveness, like you said, he 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 can just figure out a way to strike so efficiently in a, such an unorthodox way. It annoys the more orthodox fight fans because his hands are down. He's doing all this, you know, stupid little clowny shit inside the the cage where it's like put your hands up and actually try to attack. But that's the type of fighter he is. He'll get the, the other person frustrated because he's clowning him, and then that other person gets caught while he's swinging. So it's worked for him, but right. but right. here we are. You know, where where, where do we go from here? Because he's on a four-fight winning streak. It just makes sense to put the big name in a title fight, and it looks like we're going to get this rematch to the credit of Paige. He can win the rematch. He has the, the pure talent to win said rematch. The problem isn't that he can't win the Bellator welterweight title. It's more so where does the whole division go? Because in a world where we have all these welterweights, and mind you, we're probably at a crosshairs right now where some of the guys that are in UFC are probably not going to be there forever, especially with Usman at the top of the division and Colby running around trying to make shots. You have guys like the Tyrone Woodleys or even an Nate Diaz that could go somewhere else, and Bellator is kind of like the place that he would go. The problem with Michael Venom Page, getting back to him, how good is he? Because that unorthodox shit only lasts so long. Like, Anderson Silva is one of the GOATs, and the comparison to him wasn't necessarily in the status that he is. It's in the quality of the fight or the style of the fight, not the quality, the style of the fight. And stylistically, yeah, I like watching MVP, but I've been watching him for like four years now, and I don't think he would last too long against a Nate Diaz or even a Robbie Lawler, like who's currently towards the bottom of the UFC welterweight rankings. I, I can't disagree with you there. I mean, it's really tough to, to make make any type of comparison between the two to supermost, right? But when we try and speculate, I, I agree with you. Even though he's had some dominant performances and he is very showful and as a showman at what he does, how much does that work when you enter a division in the UFC that's the welterweight division? I don't know. It works like that. We don't, like you said, we don't even have to take Kamaru as the as the guy to compare him against, right? We're talking like let's leave Lima out of it. We know where he's at. We're talking MVP going against someone in the UFC. It's re- you, you start crawling down those ranks and say, okay, let's get him this guy as a first fight to really see where he's at because you, you can't trust your kind of your gut with it it's it's really difficult to trust your gut when you're when you're thinking okay if he transfers over who do you who do you give him who do, who do you throw at him you don't want to throw and and that's kind of the problem that i'm alluding to right he's yeah. going all three rounds with these you know scrubs of bellator these guys at bellator are trying to feed him 
to build back up after a loss. And he's going all three rounds. And I get it's 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 fighting that I shouldn't take any of these gladiators for granted. But at the end of the day, there are tiers to this sport. And if they're placing him where we all want him to be, he should be knocking these dudes out. And he's not. So if he's not doing that in Bellator, could you imagine him going up against a dude that's been signed to UFC and this is like his third UFC fight? Oh my god, I know. Oh yeah, perfect perfect example. Give him give him to Cosma Chimaev, right? A guy that is scaring everyone in the welterweight division, scaring everyone in the middleweight division. No one no one wants to go against that guy, right? And that's a guy we're talking about. I'm not sure if if you know the name, but I, I sent it to you before. Um, he had that back-to-back turnaround in 11 days where he was at Fight Island, won by knockout, went back, won by knockout, where he only had, I think, less than less than 60 strikes thrown on him or something like that between the two fights. It's insane what that guy did. So, and that's a, like you said, that's a guy that's, you know, three wins in the UFC, not, not really a crazy record in the UFC. Throw him against that guy. I don't see MVP winning that, but, I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a cheap shot because I don't see many people even in the UFC beating that guy he's terrifying but but that's exactly what I mean like I said I pulled up the rankings while, while you were talking and first one through five I'm not I'm not giving MVP to them we're talking and we're not talking about Kamara the champion we're talking about no, number one contender through five that's Colby Covington Gilbert Burns Leon Edwards Jorge Masvidal and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson yeah MVP doesn't have a shot doesn't, not right now. I mean, we say not right now, but we're talking about a roughly thirty-three-year-old fighter who, mind you, one seventy with a reach of seventy-nine inches. That is insane. So he's so I'm, we're not trying to discount how lethal of a striker he really is, but at the same time, the welterweight division, as we said on a previous episode, is full of killers. So mm-hmm. it's rough watching this because there's so much potential. With Michael P. There really is. Yeah, it's it, it kind of pulls out your heartstrings. You're like, what what are they going to do with this guy? Do you try and build him back up or just throw him back in, into the fire? And in my opinion, you throw him back into the fire with the Lima fight. If Lima gets through, Gegard is a, is a two-time, not two-time, two-division champion. Throw him back in the fire. See what he's really made of. He's still young. Still has got a light, light career. You know, not too many fights under his record. I mean, 18's a lot, but still not compared to Douglas Lima that like I said, 32 wins. You've got to throw him back in the fire. Stop. And if he can make it out of that fire, then maybe we, we test what's going on with, with some killers in that division that Bellator has. You know, but but not winning, like you said, not to just kind of beat a dead horse, but not winning decisively against guys that you should be winning decisively against, which, granted, you know, some, some hardcores might get a, a little bit upset about it, like, oh, it was just one fight, it was just one fight, right? Being one fight, I get it, but is this the beginning of something where it's going to be like this moving forward? That's what we're questioning, right? I mean, that's what we're wondering. It's not, it's not oh, he's been doing this over and over and over. No, it, it, you're right, it's one fight, but is this what we're going to see out of MVP moving forward? I don't want to see that. I mean, I'm, like I said, we're, we're fans of him. Yeah. we got to hope that he can pull something out, you know? And I don't know if going up to middleweight is even an option right now for him. I doubt it. He's not necessarily the biggest welterweight, even though he previously did fight at middleweight earlier in his career. We're talking that much earlier in his career, about six years ago or so. So I don't see that making a lot of sense either. Right, right. I mean, and typically when you go down, it's because 
you, you see at that bigger division, it might not be the easiest thing for you. You know, your power might not be there in a bigger division. Your 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 speed will be there in a bigger division for sure, but speed only accounts for so much if you can't put, put a guy away with a shot. Or, you know, not everyone can put a guy away with one shot, but if your shots are doing nothing to a guy in a, in a division that you're up in, you might have to make that decision to go down a weight, and if you can make that weight and cut the weight to get there, it's, it's a safer bet for you as a fighter. So... That's always a hard decision. But, yeah, you're right. Starting out in his career, being a heavier fighter, what was the decision to move down? It's always in the back of your mind. Well, why did that happen? Where did that come about? I mean, you see it a lot with the tough guys, um, the, the Ultimate Fighter crew guys. When they go into the Ultimate Fighter, that reality show, they always start a lot heavier than they are. I mean, they, they, they go in there as bigger guys, and they realize as they fight through tough and then they get into the UFC, they're not going to be fighting at at, at these big weights. And especially with the amount of finishes that Page has had throughout his career, that's kind of the tell of why he went down to a lighter weight is because he has that knockout power at a lighter weight. Exactly. But we, exactly. But, yes. but we need to see it on a more consistent basis. And we'll wrap it up there because I, I don't want to be too repetitive. We're kind of just two fans that are hoping for the best, but we're kind of seeing you know the forest through the trees or whatever that saying is we kind of see that this is problematic for him as a fighter because he's you don't want to plateau here he can stay a very entertaining fighter but we want to see him take that next step and evolve as an elite welterweight and he needs to get this fight with lima if he loses that fight with lima then we're going to come back and talk about maybe he does have to move up Correct. We'll try to keep an eye on Bellator. The, the reason we're talking about this is because I'm a big fan of MVP over in Bellator. And I've been a fan of Lima catching the fights when I can because obviously I pay attention to UFC more. So definitely keep your eyes on both these fighters when it comes to Bellator. In some follow-up from our last episode when we talked about the Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor rematch, it came out today. So apparently whenever we decide to record, it's a good day. For MMA news, I hope the MMA gods keep doing this for us. <laughs> Dana White told Brett Akamoto of ESPN that he's only offering the January 23rd fight for uh, Conor McGregor. As we know, Conor wanted to definitely fight in 2020, and Dana's kind of telling him, yeah, no. January... <laughs> You have a different take than I had initially because this literally just happened. So it, there might be more details by the time this comes out. What is your take on Dana going, no, January is the date I'm offering you? Okay, so a couple things. It it does upset me because, I mean, last time we were talking, I was, I was so hyped to have him at, on an Amanda Nunez card. But I know UFC-wise, they don't want to put a card that doesn't have a belt above their champ champ, so I get that why they wouldn't do the December 12th card. November is fine with me too, but my take on that, um, especially when when it came out, I'm pretty sure that Dana said he called ESPN and opened that date for Connor. That wasn't a previous date held, and they opened that January date for Connor. In my eyes, and you know, where everything sits today, we can we don't know everything's kind of up in there with live sports and having crowds. I still think, even though a lot of people differ on this, I still think they don't want to make this card because 
they won't have that gate. And I think that's why Dana keeps pushing it back and not really truthfully admitting it because, let's be honest, even though Conor McGregor gets part of the gate, which is, you know, crowd in attendance, merch sales, all that stuff, there's no possible way you can make that kind of money you make on selling Conor McGregor pay-per-views. It's, it's just not possible. With everyone at home, no matter, no matter if every single person that was going to be at that fight would buy, that's still only what? Most, most venues hold 60,000 around, say? It depends, because if they're in a, an arena, it's usually around 20,000. If they're going to a stadium, which I, I don't know how they would do it right now with COVID, I think that's pretty impossible. So best-case scenario for UFC right now is they rent an arena or, you know, through the venue is an arena, which is somewhere between 18 and 25,000 usually. Right. Or anywhere between 10 and in 25,000, depending on the arena, obviously. But for, but for a mega fight or any fight attached to Conor McGregor, you're going to try to get a bigger venue and you're not, and you're looking at best case scenario, 25% of the audience by January. I can't imagine in the continental United States, they're going to allow more than a 25% or something at one of these arenas closed door that doesn't involve the literal president of the United States just not paying attention to the rules. Like, right. not that I have to be political, but real talk. Like, I don't, you're yeah, not the president no. of the United States. It ain't fucking happening. I don't see it happening either. So, yeah, so, so my point even better then. So, yeah, if we're talking stadiums, yeah, 60,000. We're talking arenas, like you said, maybe 25,000. That's not even a dent when you talk about pay-per-view buys. So, even if everyone that would go to the actual event went and bought pay-per-views, it doesn't even compare because we're talking 60 bucks when a ticket is alone $200 for the nosebleeds, right? $300 for the nosebleeds. Up front, we're talking about a couple grand to have, have ringside seats, even more. So it, there's no comparison in having a live date. And, you know, it's still speculation, but I'm, I, I think my initial take when you sent me the news was, well, shit, is he trying to do this in Texas? Because Texas is trying to open up arenas right now. That's their next move. And if, if Texas can have where they successfully can open up arenas – Somehow, we, we don't know, but if they can successfully somehow open up arenas and get live gates at arenas, that gives the UFC enough time to prepare because, again, going back to one of our last conversations, the UFC was kind of ahead of the curve when it came to testing, when it came to getting their fighters protected, putting them in a sensible bubble, being Fight Island, or at the Apex in Las Vegas. They were really one of the first, other than the NBA, like we said last week, to, to set this up. So they don't want to risk their reputation in having a live gate when they've done so well. So I don't I don't know what, what Dana's really thinking, or is he just thinking, look, I'm, you know, he said, Dana kind of always talks, if you follow the UFC as closely as we do, we know Dana White, he likes to talk a lot, he likes to hear himself, and I love the guy for it, but he's, he also doesn't always tell the truth, he, he can't, he's a fighting mode. So him saying... Well, you know, we're all booked up for those cards already. We can't fill those in. That's not solely true. We know that you had two of your fight cards on the November card and the December card drop out. So what are we talking about here? You know, why why is there no opening? Why can't you have a turnaround that quickly? Who, who's not ready? Dustin's ready. Connor's ready. What's what's the real problem? Definitely sports yeah, politics. Exactly. Yeah, so what were you thinking about it, though? What do I think about the news? I just think... It's a power move by Dana because I do believe they could add him to any card they want 
especially because there's no real gate. No one's going to these fights. You can make the fight happen and have both fighters agree to it in six weeks if you really want that to happen. So the fact that he pushed it to 2021, I think it also might have to do with getting quarter one of 2021 off right. So if they get all those buys in January off rip, like you said, they don't need the gate. Uh, all these millions of people spending 60 bucks a pop on ESPN Plus, that'd look good for the company to start off 2021 like that after the very volatile 2020 that we've had across the globe. So that's all I really thought. I just thought it was more of a business decision, a political decision. Hey, fuck you to Connor, because Connor's saying, I want to get it done now. And Dana's like, yeah, whatever. We'll do it when I say it, because I'm the boss. I definitely think yeah. that was a big part of it. That makes perfect sense. I mean, I probably subscribe to that more than anything. Uh, with my with my thought, it's more just speculation on, oh, could it be this? You know, rubbing my hands as a fight fan, like, ooh, how deep does this go? You know? Yeah, because you but, missed the, the you missed the pops. You you missed the crowd. It's it, it, it's there. We all know. We all know. We all feel it. But also, did you see the featherweight news that dropped this afternoon? I did not see that. Ooh. So Dana, besides the winner of Ortega Korean Zombie this Saturday, will get a featherweight title shot. We'll fight Volkanovski. Yep. Oh, my God. So they're not going to do the, the Holloway three, which I I agree with, even though I don't think Holloway lost like a lot of people in the second one. I do think the first one was a little more good for Volkanovski. I think that first fight between them, it did show Volkanovski a lot better. Like, Holloway got robbed, I got to say. We didn't have the pod yeah. then, and not, and not to take away from the fight that's happening this Saturday, and we'll get into that in a second, but just to put our cards on the table and let everyone know how we feel. I am one of those people that think Max Holloway got robbed that last fight. No disrespect to the current champ. He, he's a warrior in his own right. But Max Holloway should have won that fight. It should be the featherweight champ, and we should be talking about a third fight. But we're not. Yes. And I do agree. Yep. I how do agree, you see – okay, I guess this is where the part of the pod, because me and you can start nerding out hardcore at any moment. So I want to kind of steer us in the right direction. And – how do you feel the fight is going to go? Ortega versus Korean Zombie. How do you think that's going to go on Saturday? Oh, God. That's a hard question. I, I honestly is, I don't know if it's a corny thing to say. I love, I love both of them. You know, he's, he's obviously the Korean Zombie for a reason. You can't put the guy away. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's almost insane what he can endure. Ortega's not really the guy to put someone away with punches, you know? I mean, he can, but it, it, you saw with the fight against Max Holloway that Max Holloway's striking was so much better. So much better than Ortega's, right? So that's where his mistakes were really coming coming about. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. I just know I think it's going to be a good fight. I hope. This is a contention for, for fight of the year. I kind of follow Shab on that. I, I subscribe to this could be a fight of the year fight. It's been a couple of years in the making now, right? Two years or something like that? You, you are a great politician, fam. I got to tell you. That was a wonderfully <laughs> deliberated filibuster you had. Who and what round do you think oh. is going to win? Oh, God. Listen, listen. I'm, I agree with everything you said. Let me let me let me be clear. I agree that it could be the fight of the year. I I agree that I have no freaking clue what's going to happen because both men are going to be throwing those hands and anything could happen at any moment. These are the type of fights we all live for. But if I have to, 
if I have to put somebody to it, I'm kind of leaning towards Ortega, but part of me thinks that Chan Sung Jung is going to be that much more hungry too, because I believe he's a little bit older than uh, Brian Ortega is. I don't know either. I think it's going to be a knockout by either or at some point of the fight, and we're not going to really see it coming, but I have to put a prediction to it. I'm going to say Ortega wins by split decision. Ooh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, if you, if you, you know, if you're forcing me, I, I, I tried to, I tried to delay the answer as much as I could. You called me there. So, <laughs> um, if I had to put it, I'm actually on, I'm actually on the opposite side of that. Yeah, I, I think no matter how much I love Ortega, right, and I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge jujitsu background guy, right. I really think that is one of the main things, among other people, that, I mean, that's where the UFC started, right, was this new thing, jujitsu, that everyone was getting stopped by because the Gracie family was unstoppable. Well, that's where Ortega comes from. That's what he hails from. He's a great C jujitsu guy, and that's, that's his family, you know. So, not literally, but he's been there since he was, I think, 14 or some crazy shit like that. So, his jujitsu is amazing. That being said, there's, you know, some hardcores might know this if they like jujitsu and stuff like that. His main coach, who was Henry Gracie, actually rolled with Korean Zombie when they opened a school in Korea. And this is getting real, real background here. But being Henry Gracie of the, of basically prodigy of jujitsu, Korean Zombie didn't look bad when he rolled with him. So I think he's able to negate the jujitsu aspect of Brian Ortega, even though, listen, Ortega can pull some shit out of his ass no matter what, when it comes to jiu-jitsu. I'm not taking that away from him. He is unbelievable. But I think Korean Zombie has enough to stop that from happening, especially when the when the lights are on, you know? So I think it's I, I think it's Korean Zombie by knockout, actually. Nice. I, I would lean that way, too. I really like both these guys, so I feel like anybody could win by knockout, and that's not a cop-out. That's really what I believe. I think that... The right-landed punch, which is every fight, no shit, Sherlock, I get that. But I mean that these two guys are built for this. So I'm saying decision because I think these guys don't go unloading on each other early. And if they do, and it's they both survive, it's going to be a much slower fight than a lot of people are anticipating. Because they're both going to try to win the fight. But he's called Korean Zombie because not only can't you put him down, but he keeps on coming at you. Yep. Yeah, that's the scariest part about it. I mean, the 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 Yair fight, I'm I'm so devastated. I'm so devastated. That can go. That's probably one of the what top five knockouts of all time. When he caught one him with that elbow left. in the last couple seconds. One second, literally one second left in the fifth round. It was about to go to decision, and he comes out of the clinch. I think it is with an elbow. Come on, man. So when we're talking about the zombie, that's exactly it. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you there. I love both these guys so much, and it's hard for me to make the decision. But to go back to the original kind of statement of this, before you asked who do you think wins, I'm, I didn't know the news that Dana said. I'm damn excited that whoever wins is going to be fighting for a belt. That kind of made me even more happy. <laughs> and I think both men have a shot at the title. Real talk, if they win this fight, both men can have a realistic chance of becoming the new featherweight champion. The, the shitty part of that statement is whoever becomes the featherweight champion out of these next two fights 
still has to fight Max Holloway again. So, you know, we're going to be yes. right back to square run because Max definitely deserves his shot. I do think he was robbed, and I know it's a deeper division. Right now, as of this recording, the division, the featherweight division, you got Alexander Volkanovsky as a champ. Then it's one Max Holloway, Brian Ortega at two, Zabit at three. Really, you're not going to sit through the game, right? Yeah, there you go. I was going to say, you got the... You got Chan Sung Jung at four, a.k.a. Korean Zombie, Yair Rodriguez at five, Calvin Qatar at six, Josh Emmett, Jeremy Stevens, Arnold Allen, Danny Ige, how do you say that name? Ige? Ige? Ige. And then it kind of trails off from there. You got uh, a name like Edson Barbosa at 14, which... Yeah. And, hey, right under Edson Barbosa, Bryce Mitchell, listen, man. Other than Korean Zombie, the only guy to pull off a twister in a UFC, in an MMA match like the UFC. So just saying. Just saying. Well, th- th- that's kind of what we were talking about earlier with Michael Venom Page. We're fans, but we don't know if we're fans because he's a big fish in a smaller pond. Because every time we look at these rankings, almost every division of the UFC got killers from top to bottom. And they're different types of killers. Like, we're talking about two dudes in Ortega and Korean Zombie that are going to be swinging for the fences. But as when we just before, just a half hour ago, when we were talking about MVP, we're worried about him running into guys like Usman or Colby who can wrestle you to death. Yep. Like, the UFC has a little bit of everything. I just think it's awesome that we're going to be able to see these two dudes are pretty much in their prime. Ortega and Chan Sung Jung are really in their prime right now. The best part about fighting is your prime kind of lasts from 25 to 35, and then if you're a heavyweight, kind of from 30 to 40. So it's awesome when these fighters get to just showcase their talents against the other elite fighters in the sport. Yep. Yeah, I I agree with you there. Yeah, it's it's going back to kind of, yeah, how we started this whole conversation. It's just deep. It's just so, the divisions in the UFC are so deep, and there's so many killers that... It's hard to see a transition from Bellator, right? And I know we've talked about a previous in a previous conversation with one being for those lighter guys. That's a whole other conversation. We could definitely get into that one day. But when you talk about getting up to the 55s, well, let's start 45, 55, 70, 85. That's the UFC. You can talk about 25 and 35 all day with one. Bellator, it's the same thing. They're kind of in the higher divisions or in those heavier divisions. So, you know, it's always a toss-up when you're talking about the UFC, but it's not a toss-up when you compare UFC to Bellator. I'm sorry. Being the hardcore that I am, I love the Bellator guys, but looking at just this one list, we're we're talking about some of the craziest people in in the featherweight division. Yeah. It's insane. All right, man. Tell them where they can find you on social media. Um, you can find me everything at T Owens eleven oh five, and that's not an O, that is a zero. I always say O though, so T Owens one one zero five. So you can find me everywhere: Twitter, Instagram, the whole the whole deal. Nice. I'm at not the Chuck D Instagram on Twitter. We're at the Dope Blog on Twitter at the underscore Dope Blog on Instagram and at the Dope Blog and Podcast on Facebook. And we're definitely going to be back and talking about whatever the hell happens on Saturday with Brian Ortega. And Korean Zombie, because we're both hyped for this fight. So we're going to be doing a whole pod reviewing that fight and then talking about whatever matchup we get for the featherweight title looking forward. 
shit is exciting. And right now, UFC is killing it, so I can't wait. Yeah, they're they're ending their year strong, and um, you know, not to not to jump on it, but don't forget after this weekend, one more week, and that's when we have one of the biggest fights of all time, in Gaethje Khabib. So don't forget about that. Either. I'm ill. I'm ill. Sicker than your average.